0: All right, well, let's get started, ladies. Let me begin by giving thanks to all of the many sermons that I've listened to from John MacArthur, John Piper, Steve Kreloff, and Don Green. Chapter 5 was difficult, and I listened to many, many sermons, and I also want to thank my husband for the use of all of his commentaries and his reviewing of this lecture. So, I have a funny story to start with that one mom shared about her daughter. After moving to the country, my three-year-old daughter and I were often alone in our house. Because we lived in a rural area with no close neighbors, I wanted to make sure that my daughter would be able to call 911 in the event that something happened to me. After instructing her, I decided to test her. Okay, what would you do if you found me on the floor and you couldn't wake me up? I could see her little brain working. To my surprise, she finally said, I would go into the kitchen and eat anything I want. (laughs) Not the answer that this mother was looking for, I'm sure. But if you have children or you've even been around children very long, you know how hard it is to get them to do what you've said. You have to repeat yourself over and over with them to either get them to do something or just remind them of what you've already told them. I remember when one of our daughters was little, she was afraid at night that someone would break into our house. Joe was always so loving and patient with her to remind her of all of the things that we had done to make our house a safe place, in addition to talking with her through the truths of God's Word and reminding her of His sovereignty in her life and how we can be sure God is always with us no matter what. He was not trying to give her any false sense of security. But instead, he was pointing her time and time again to what was true. Every night, for a very long time, he went through this with her. And this is what I think of when I read this last chapter of 1 John. Like a loving father, John is repeating himself in an effort to help his readers be sure of their stand before a holy God so that they have confidence in their eternal security, as he stated in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John is such a loving pastor, and it's evident in his writings. We learned in previous chapters that John's goal in writing this epistle was to affirm their complete fullness of joy, which is obtained through a true understanding and belief in Jesus, so that they would not sin and not be deceived by false teaching while also giving them assurance of their salvation and eternal life. Because of the heresies that his readers were facing, John makes it clear that belief in Jesus, the one true Savior, the Son of God, who came in the flesh, is of the utmost importance of salvation. And because of this faith, they can have assurance of salvation and all of God's promises, knowing that they have eternal security in him. John is a loving pastor who is pointing his flock to the one true gospel, providing them with concrete evidences that they should see in their lives if they truly believe, while also warning them of false doctrines. I'm so thankful that we have pastors in our church who do the same thing. So here we are in chapter 5. And before John closes his letter, he's going to hammer home the truths that he's been teaching all along. And my prayer is that as we go through this, you too will have the assurance of your faith and the eternal security that comes with it. But if you find that you don't have this, that you will cry out to the Lord in repentance and obtain salvation from him so that you too can experience fullness of joy through the salvation and have eternal life. All right, so let's dig into this chapter. Chapter 5 can be divided into three sections, each section focusing on Jesus, the Son of God the first section of the first five verses and i've entitled this true believers evidences of faith in the son of god john begins by stating everyone who believes that jesus is the christ has been born of god and everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him by this we know that we love the children of god when we love god and obey his commandments for this is the love of god that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? In these first five verses of 1 John, we have a basic review of tests that he has given throughout this epistle. Tests that will determine if you are a true believer and therefore possess eternal life. John clearly states that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And those born of God love other believers, keep his commandments, and are overcomers. So the tests he gives to determine those born of God are loving God, loving believers, and obedience to God. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ or the anointed one, the Messiah sent by God, do you pass these tests? These are not new concepts in the Bible. In fact, they're not new concepts for John to have written about either. We learned about them in previous chapters of 1 John. And if you turn to the Gospel of John, you can see that John recorded what Jesus said about loving God, loving the brethren and keeping his commandments. In John 13:35, Jesus said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And in John 14:15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is an overflow of a true believer's heart. Love for God and the brethren. And obedience to God and his commandments. When we love God, it's evident through our love for other believers. And our obedience to his word. They all go together. If we love God, we will love other believers because they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them and so do we. If we love God, we will keep His commandments because we love Him and the Holy Spirit has given us a desire to obey Him. If we are obeying Him, then we are loving others because that's what His commandments are about. Loving God and loving others. Following God's commandments will result in And our loving God and others. Because his commandments revolve around how to love God and love others. That's what his commandments are. Remember in Matthew 22 when the lawyer asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We learned a lot about loving in the previous chapters of 1 John. So we're not going to go into detail now. But please, ladies, make note that love is not a feeling that we have to wait to possess before acting on it. That is a worldly point of view. If we wait until we feel like loving others, we may never do it. If we are actively living out our faith through obedience to God's word then the result will be lived out through our seeking to put others' needs before our own. This love for others is also not what the world would promote through acceptance of all people by allowing them to continue in their sin. Sometimes the most loving thing that we can do for a sister in Christ is to point her to her sin. Loving others is always consistent with God's word jesus was a perfect example of this he loved perfectly and he always pointed sinners to their need for repentance from their sin without watering down the truth of their stand before a holy god and he was always compassionate while he did that the type of love that we should have is actively living out our faith through helping fellow believers by meeting their needs encouraging them when they're discouraged, while also pointing them to God's truth and helping them in their walk with the Lord. This type of love is what Paul describes in verse 14 of chapter 5 in First Thessalonians. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. The love and obedience John refers to is granted to true believers in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, And that is why John can state here in verse 3 that his commandments are not burdensome. Unfortunately, I think that many people view Christianity as a burden. They see it as a list of rules that stifle who they want to be so they don't want to have anything to do with it. And there's a lack of understanding of the freedom that comes to a believer once they truly are saved. God's commandments are not burdensome because Christ has lived the perfect life that we can't. True believers no longer have that burden to carry. The weight of sin is lifted because Christ's death on the cross. God has given us the commandments to show us how far we've fallen from keeping his holy standard. God set the standard, and it is perfection. Trying to live a perfect life without Christ is burdensome. That is why so many people see it as a list of rules. They never really Fully understand that through faith in Christ as your Savior, this list of do's and don'ts has been kept completely and perfectly by Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Ladies, Jesus did it. He overcame the burden of sin. In these verses in 1 John, we see that true believers in Christ, because of their faith in him as their Savior, have overcome that burden as well. So those who have faith, those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, have been born of God. And the evidence of that faith is their love and obedience. And the one who possesses this faith is an overcomer. In these verses, we have the keys to victory, the keys to being overcomer. Jesus said, he has overcome the world. And here John is telling true believers in Jesus the same thing is true of them because of their faith in Jesus as the Christ. You, because of your faith in Christ, are a conqueror, and you have overcome this burden of sin too. And it's all because of Christ. In Romans 8.37 it says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He did it. And faith in him makes you an overcomer of the world. We learned in chapter 2 what the world was. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. This is what Christians have victory over, the sin of this world. We are overcomers of the things of this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you think about these things, they encompass any sin you can think of. All sin. Anything that distracts us from obedience to God. Anything in this world that gets in the way of our love for God. We are overcomers through Christ Jesus and his perfect obedience to the Father. And because of our faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in true love and obedience to him. True believers in Christ love God and the brethren. They obey God's commandments, and these commandments aren't burdensome to him because he has overcome this world through Christ. These are all evidences of a true believer's faith in Jesus. So the question is, how can we know if we're true believers? John wants his readers to have this confidence. That's why he wrote the epistle. He's saying, if you have this love, obedience, and victory over sin then that is evidence that you are a true believer in the Son of God. So the question we should be asking ourselves right now is, do I truly love God? Is it evident through my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ and my obedience to his commandments? Am I an overcomer of the sin in this world, or do I still live my life to please myself? Do I have these evidences of faith in the Son of God in my life? Am I a true believer in the Son of God? What does that even mean? What do true believers believe? And these last questions lead to the next point in the next section of verses. John doesn't just leave it to what we can see occurring in ourselves. He takes it a step further and he says, This is what God says about Jesus, and true believers believe these things. So in verses 6 through 12, we see that true believers believe God's testimony of the Son of God. And I'm going to start in verse 6 and read through 12. has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Here we have God's testimony to us about Jesus. In these verses, there are three that testify to the truth we are to believe about Jesus. And this is so key to our faith. What should we believe about Jesus? John started off this epistle with his personal testimony to Jesus. His testimony about what he had seen in the flesh. That Jesus was truly man and truly God. Now he's going to give us a better testimony. We are told here what God has testified about Jesus. And this is what we should believe. You believe man's testimony, so believe God's testimony. Because it's greater. His testimony is secure. Believe what he has told us to believe about his son. Remember, John was battling the false religions of this time. And these people were being told some pretty erroneous things about who Jesus was. And they were teaching things that at their core would negate the whole Christian faith. There were two main false teachings occurring during this time. And they had to do with Jesus not being fully human and Jesus not being fully God. Ladies, Jesus had to be fully human in order to die as a substitute for man. And he had to be fully God for his death to have an infinite effect and atone for the sins of many. John confirmed both of these truths with his eyewitness, and he's solidifying these truths here in chapter 5 with God's witness. God, through these three that testify the water, the blood, and the spirit is affirming that Jesus is the one that came. He is the Christ, the long awaited Messiah. He is God incarnate, and this is so important to us today. John was saying, God is a witness, and you better believe what he says, not what these liars are telling you. Don't follow the beliefs that go against God's word. He even says, if you don't believe God, you make him a liar. That's pretty severe. So we better know what God says about Jesus and be sure that we believe what he says so that we do not make God out to be a liar either. We're told here that there are three that testify to who Jesus is, the water, the blood, and the spirit. First, it's significant that God gives us three witnesses here. If you remember in the Old Testament law, required two or three to be a secure testimony. So here we have God gives witness through three, the water, the blood, and the spirit. There are a few different interpretations as to what is meant here by water and blood. After reading different commentaries and listening to different sermons, I think the best explanation for water and blood is that water refers to when Jesus was baptized, and the blood refers to his death on the cross. These two events mark the beginning and the end of his earthly ministry. And God gives witness to Jesus at both of these events. God is testifying to the world about his son, and his testimony is through these three, the water, the blood, and the spirit. The first is the water, Jesus' baptism. Remember from Matthew 3, when Jesus went to be baptized and John said, No, Jesus, you need to baptize me. John's baptism was one of repentance. Jesus didn't need to repent, and John knew that. I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, And he was identifying himself with sinners. Jesus was completely obedient to his heavenly father. And in his obedience, he was baptized. John MacArthur describes Jesus' baptism as, and I quote, Jesus identifying with sinners and defining the reason he came. This water baptism was setting the stage for the whole reason Jesus came to earth. It's a defining moment, end of quote. And God gives testimony to Jesus right here. This is God's testimony. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. At Jesus' baptism, God testified to who Jesus was. Jesus is God's son. Here he is, the long-awaited Messiah. God says, this is his son, which means that Jesus shares God's nature. He shares his essence of deity. God is affirming Christ's deity right here. At the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, right here at his baptism, and we have God's testimony to who he is. This is the first witness, the water. The second witness mentioned here is the blood. When Jesus died on the cross, he was again identifying with sinners by taking on their punishment. And God gave witness here too. There are some pretty amazing things that occurred. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 27. Verse 45 says, now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. So, first, at Jesus' death, there was darkness over the whole land for three hours a darkness like never experienced before. Then, in the same chapter, 27 of Matthew, if you move down to verses 51 to 53, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Here at the cross where Jesus shed his blood, we have God's witness to who he is. The curtain was torn from top to bottom, and only God could do that. It was too high for man to tear it from top to bottom. This curtain or veil was the separation in the temple that blocked the entrance into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was. This showed that access to God was now available and only God could open the way into his presence. We also see that the earth shook, rocks split open, and tombs were opened, and many of the dead saints were raised. These things were all clearly acts of God, all occurring at Jesus' death, giving witness to what had just occurred to the Son of God. All of these things were God's testimony to his son. All of these things, in addition to all of the prophecies that were fulfilled at Jesus' death, bear witness that Jesus is God's son. Jesus is the Messiah. He is who he said he is. He is God the son. At the time of Jesus' death, the Roman centurion realized this reality, and he proclaimed, truly this man was the son of God. The Roman centurion saw this truth about Jesus because the Holy Spirit enlightened him at this moment. He was able to declare the truth about Jesus not because he figured it out on his own, but because the Holy Spirit testified to his spirit the truth. True believers have this testimony bearing witness to their spirits also, like we're told in Romans. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And here we have our third witness that testifies To the truth about Jesus, the Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies throughout all of Scripture to who Jesus is, but He also testified at His baptism and His death, and He bears witness with our Spirit about the truth of who Jesus is. These three are in agreement the Spirit, the water, and the blood. All three point to Jesus, the Son of God, and attest to His deity, and true believers believe this. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God in human flesh. He is the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world. Jesus is the one that God's word has spoken of from the beginning. He is the one the prophets prophesied about. He is the one who came to earth and lived the perfect, sinless life. He humbled himself and was baptized and crucified and buried and rose again and appeared to many and ascended to heaven and is now seated in the heavenly realms with the Father, making intercession for us. He is our advocate. He is the Almighty God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and this is God's testimony of this truth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood all testify to who Jesus is, and they all agree. And ladies, we better agree too and believe it, or we make God out to be a liar. So after speaking of true believers' evidences of faith in the Son of God, and true believers' belief in God's testimony of the Son of God, John moves on to give these true believers some assurances that they can have as believers in the Son of God. So the verses 13 through 21 are true believers' assurances in the Son of God. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Here John gives some assurances to those people who pass the tests he has given over and over in this epistle. If you have these evidences in your life and you find that you pass the test, if you believe God's testimony about Jesus, then as a true believer, you can know that you have eternal life, know that your prayers in accordance with God's will are heard and answered, you can know that you have victory over sin, and finally, you can know that you belong to Jesus Christ, the one true God. Ladies, in this time of uncertainty, lies, confusion, and division in our world, it is amazing that we have assurances from our Lord. We can know. We have been given these things to help us in our times of trouble. There have been times in my life, and I'm sure in yours too, where nothing seems to be going right. Everything seems to be falling apart and spinning out of control. I don't know about you, but For me, during these times, I find it extremely hard to even think. And it's during those times of uncertainty that we can think on these truths. We can first remind ourselves of the truth that we have eternal life. Whatever is going on here on earth is inconsequential in comparison to the fact that we will spend eternity with our Savior. Sometimes that's all I need to get my thinking straight. I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. And nothing else matters. But John gives us more assurances here that we can rely on. He also tells us that we can be sure that God hears and answers our prayers. Oh, what a wonderful thing to hold on to. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we now have the confidence that we can go before the throne of God and ask anything in accordance with his will. And we know that he hears us. And answers us. So let me just say that verses 16 and 17 are very difficult verses. And there are many different interpretations of them. And we're not told exactly what John is referring to here when he speaks of the sin that leads to death. But what's being illustrated in these verses is the assurance that believers have of our prayers being answered when we intercede for other believers who are caught in sin not leading to death. I just want us to be encouraged that when we see brothers who are caught up in sin, we should pray for them, knowing that if the sin they commit does not lead to death, then we have the assurance that God will hear and answer us and bring that person to repentance and a life of faithfulness. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that there is sin that leads to physical death. And John may be referring to this here. There are times when God and his holiness chooses to take someone home to heaven instead of allow them to continue in their sin. Ladies, this is not a common occurrence, but it does happen. You remember from chapter 1 that God is light and in him there is no darkness. God will not allow man to continue in his sin. All sin will be dealt with. For those who are saved, it's already been paid for by Jesus on the cross. And for those who do not believe, they will face eternal punishment. Ladies, we don't know at what point God and his holiness will not tolerate a person's sin anymore. So we need to just be faithful to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are caught up in sin. And if it is sin not leading to death, we have the assurance that Christ will answer this prayer and give them life. Our prayers for other believers should be like that of Paul's in Colossians 1, 9 and 10, where he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. The point in 1 John is, is the assurance that we have that if we ask according to God's will, we know that God hears us and we know we have what we ask of Him. So, not only do we have the assurance of our salvation, the assurance of prayers being heard and answered, but as believers, we also have the assurance of victory over sin. God will not allow us to continue in our sin, He will convict us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can have victory to put off our old sinful ways and walk in obedience to Him. And the last assurance that we see in this chapter in these verses is, we know we belong to Christ, the one true God. Satan is the ruler of this sin-filled world. He is not the ruler of us. He does not have dominion over us. God does. God holds us in His hand. God keeps us secure. And he will keep us secure in him until Christ returns. Just as it says in Second Timothy 4.18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. When everything in this world seems to be ruling out of control, ladies, if you are saved, you can take comfort in Christ's assurances Take comfort that you have eternal life through Christ. Take comfort that you know God hears and answers your prayers. Take comfort that you have victory over sin and it no longer rules you. Take comfort that you belong to Jesus and he will keep you safely in his arms until he returns. We have these assurances all because of Christ, all because of him, and praise be to him. So here we are at the end of John's epistle. He has written the same truths over and over again, and we've studied these truths consistently for over the last month. So now's the time, like the mother in my opening story, to ask ourselves the important questions to see if we got it, to see if we have the assurance and that we know how to dial the 911 on our eternal security, or if we will go into the kitchen, like the little girl said, and eat whatever we want. <laughs> Will we draw from these assurances of our salvation, or will we fall prey to the false teachers and distractions of our day? The last verse in this epistle says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Ladies, we need to be so confident in what we believe to be true about Jesus that we do not get sidetracked by anything that will keep our focus off of him. Our eternal security lies in our belief and faith in Jesus as the Christ. The Son of God. And our victory is sure when He is our whole heart's desire. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for this time. Lord, I just ask that you help each one of us to have the confidence in you and our eternal security, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for this study. Thank you for the rich truths that we've learned, Lord. And I just ask that you continue to be with us throughout the remainder of our day, Lord. Help our conversations to be pleasing to you. And I just thank you and help us to obey you in all respects. In Jesus' name, amen.